Hello, my friends. I missed you. I was quite lonesome for much of the last week, and I'm not sure why. No visitors to my forest. No strange new spirits. And no real sightings of my beloved one made of fire. Just a sort of calm feeling. A peaceful acceptance that he'll be back. And so will visitors. Everything will be back. The card said so last week. Slowly but steadily they will all return here to see me. You too, if you wish. Or, for now, I suppose, I'm coming to you in this particular way that I do, from my voice to your ears. In my loneliness, I wondered aloud what I can give to you, to him of fire, to those who enter my forest looking to see something wondrous. Perhaps if I knew what I could give you, what I can offer to please you and them and others, then I won't need to be so lonely. I am exaggerating. I am happy. But I am also a myth of a strange and eerie forest spirit. And aren't those always more beautiful when they are lonesome? Also, I would like to be good. I would like to give of myself more freely. I just sometimes am not sure how best to do that. So I asked my tarot cards this week. Over and over, I whispered, What can I give you? What can I give you? I asked it of every person, creature, or spirit that popped into my head while I shuffled. Until finally, I drew the page of cups. How sweet. The Page of Cups is a very gentle card, I think. It represents an emotional beginning, perhaps a fresh start. It is a new opportunity for love and connection. It is understanding, the ability to relate to others, listening to your instinct and intuition. Perhaps he is a little mired in fantasy and in believing the best of others, even if it is unwise. But can it ever truly be unwise to not believe in the best in people? Indeed, I would like to embody that. I would like to, in a gentle and loving way, believe in the best version of every person I encounter. It is hard to do that, always, and sometimes people will pop the bubble of fantasy for you in that regard, but they also always have the chance to come back around. Let me tell you a little story about the Page of Cups. It is a love story, I will warn you now, because how could the Page of Cups not be a love story? Once upon a time, there was a noble family who took great pride in the dark burden they carried. 
For generations, they were tasked with protecting something. Something that was trapped deep within the earth. In a little cellar whose original purpose had long since been forgotten. The cellar could only be accessed from one door. And that door was kept carefully hidden away and locked and barricaded. And that door was hidden inside a little stone keep. A tiny fortress hidden away in the hills, far from any city nearby. It was once a castle, small and sturdy. But it was now mostly abandoned and forgotten. Because you see, only one person lived in it now. And that person's sole purpose in life was to protect the cellar. To ensure that it was never opened. That no one went in. And that nothing came out. It was a bleak purpose. And unhappy was the one who had to carry it out from the earliest years of adulthood until the day they died. The family tradition had always been such that the third child would dedicate their life to the cellar. The firstborn would inherit the title and a gloriously wealthy estate and the power behind their name. The secondborn would have a pleasant life, free of responsibility and full of decadence. But the third-born must live a solitary life, a quiet life, a pious and devoted life. It was said they would have the highest honor in the afterlife, for their time on earth spent serving. However, it was little consolation when the wind blew cold in those hills, and years passed without seeing another human's face. In effect... The third child was always fated to be as forgotten as the cellar was itself. Our story is about the last third born to ever live in that lonely stone keep, and the thing she kept trapped, until she didn't. When she was fifteen years old, she was considered old enough to live by herself in the stone keep. Her situation had been explained to her from a young age, and it is perhaps because of this that her father and two older sisters had always kept something of a strange distance from her. Why shouldn't they? She would think to herself. I shall soon be gone, and when I am gone I will be forgotten, and that will be best for everyone. It didn't make sense to make the parting more difficult than it had to be. But it didn't make it any easier, either. She was quite safe. She knew it. The place was not only impenetrable. It was impossible to find. It was treacherous to reach. And thieves and marauders had no desire to take what was inside. Everyone knew it to be cursed and feared the place anyhow. She had been trained from childhood how to grow, prepare, and preserve her own food. Each third-born came to the keep with as much grain and seeds as a carriage could take, so she was quite capable of surviving. Fresh water was abundant from either a clear mountain ravine or the well, 
both of which were conveniently nearby. She was quite safe, quite capable, quite comfortable. Despite the fact that the place was so sparse, so empty, so quiet, so lonesome, the loneliness was the worst part. Fifteen years old she was when she had arrived, and fifteen years passed as we join her now in her story. Fifteen years of living alone in a bleak, empty little castle. Sometimes weeks would go by, and she wouldn't even hear her own voice. And in times like that, she'd remember to say a sentence, sing a song, or even just sigh out of a window, just so she could hear someone's voice. So she would call out, for no good reason. But no one ever answered. She was a grown woman now. She knew better than to be afraid of ghosts or ghouls or monsters as she had been when she first arrived. So now, the loneliness was not frightening. It was, instead, just a kind of heaviness on her shoulders at all times. A thing that took the blue out of the sky a bit. She was used to it. But it was still there, and it was still terrible. And then, there was the thing in the cellar. She had memorized all the myths about what it was. Some said it was a horned demon, with great black claws and a long tail. Some said it had dragon's fire in its eyes, and a terrible smoke came from its mouth. But no matter who said what, all agreed that it was monstrously grotesque, so hideous to behold, in fact, that if you did, you would freeze from fright and not even be able to run before it gobbled your heart up, right in front of your very eyes. At first she lived in constant terror of this thing. If the castle creaked or moaned on a particularly chilly evening, she would scream and weep into the darkness for fear of smelling smoke or seeing those fiery eyes in the shadows. She had nightmares of a slithering tail and sharp claws coming for her, a thing with curling horns laughing at her. But it never happened. Fifteen years, and nothing ever came from the cellar. No fists pounding against the door, no shaking of the shelves the door hid behind, no movement from the dead bolts. Not a moan, not a groan, nothing. She wanted to have faith that her life wasn't wasted on superstition, but it grew more and more difficult each day to do so. What if this was all a mistake? The thought plagued her now, fifteen years into her charge. What if it's all been for nothing? And, worse still, over the last few years, she had been thinking about the thing in the cellar, if thing there even was. The story didn't quite make sense. She knew that a brave ancestor of hers had battled a creature from another world, 
a creature from the depths of hell, her father had always told her, though that's never what the ancient texts said. A demon, her sisters had reassured her, though she had never found that word in any of the tomes she'd been told to study. Legend had it that the demon had tried to trick her ancestor into making a terrible bargain for a lifetime of riches and good fortune. All he had to do, as the leader of the land, was turn a blind eye to the carnage and terror that the demon would wreak on the nearby villages for one year out of every ten. A demon of evil and destruction, they said. One who hungers only for the blood of the innocent and the screams of the dying. But instead of accepting this dreadful deal, her ancestor had fought the beast for five days and five nights, and finally drove it into the pit that was the cellar. And the locked door, the stone keep, and the walls around it were soon built to keep the thing contained. Thus, it could never entice anyone to make such a terrible deal ever again. The land would be safe, and of course, only second to the eternal reward of having done a good deed and saved the land from a terrible evil, was the much more earthly reward of centuries of riches and good fortune. For the noble family line, from that day forth, called for taxes to support the ever-watchful third-born guardian of the keep in their terrible and virtuous duty. And everything else that came to them came from luck, an ancient, powerful, magical kind of luck that can only really be given or stolen. She was a clever woman, our third-born guardian and she had seen and understood how her family had benefited from so many years of perpetuating this myth, this grand legend. Even she, with her tiny castle all to herself in the hills, though she grew to despise it more and more each day. But they had also done this to her. Something began to stir within her, finally a suspicion that felt like a growing poison in her stomach. The suspicion that everything she knew her life to be destined for, the only purpose she'd been told she would ever have, was based on a lie. Open the door, whispered a little voice from deep within. Though she told herself the whisper was deadly, it kept whispering to her nonetheless, Open the door, open the door, louder the door. and louder each day. Until one night... She lay in her bed and the wind howled and the rain beat down on her rooftop. And she could not sleep for how loud the little voice inside of her was now screaming at her. Open the door. Open the door. Open the door. She tried to drift in and out of sleep, 
half dreaming and half waking for hours and hours on end. And it is in this state that she found herself walking down the stairs, pulling the shelves away from the wall, and lifting the dead bolts from the door, unlocking it completely. She reached to open it, but she stopped herself. If she opened it, what would she do? What would she do if something was on the other side? A fearsome horned beast with burning red eyes, surrounded by smoke, thrashing at her with its horrible tail and striking at her with its ghastly claws. She cried out in her half-dreaming state, despite herself. Suddenly, she heard something from behind the door. Behind the door, and deep, deep, deep down below. Suddenly terrified in a way she hadn't been since more than fifteen years ago, she bolted away from the door, running up the stairs and hiding in her bed again, under the covers. It's just the wind, she thought to herself. Just the castle, just the wind, just the castle. And so exhausted was she that the next thing she knew, she was in her bed again and the sun was shining. Morning had come. Was it a dream? She was still alive anyway. She ran downstairs. She allowed herself to hope, just for a brief moment, that it had indeed all just been a terrible dream. But her heart sank when she saw the shelf pulled away from the door. The dead bolts lifted and unlocked, and the door swung wide open. A terrible chill came from the cellar, and she knew what duty demanded of her. She lit a candle and descended the stairs. Nothing. Not even a rat. Quiet as a grave. Cold as one, too. Empty. She breathed a sigh of relief that at least for now she was safe. And then, from the top of the cellar, the door swung shut. She screamed and backed away into a corner, finding only briefly a little comfort in having an earthen wall behind her so she knew it wasn't a monster instead. She heard nothing at first, except for the drip, drip, dripping of water from the ceiling to the ground. She shivered in the cold air. She wasn't sure whether she should be relieved or horrified that she was alone down here. And then she heard footsteps descending towards her. Who's there? She called out.
show yourself, she cried, and moved her candle around slowly to try and catch a glimpse of whatever was down here with her. She smelled the smoke before she saw it, and when two glowing red eyes, brighter than her own candle, appeared before her, perhaps a foot taller than her, hidden in the smoke, her eyes widened in horror. It was true, she thought. What have I done? For hundreds of years, so many years, so many I've lost count. I have been here. I have been hidden here, hungry and cold and alone for so, so, so many years. And you, you whose blood stinks with the smell of he who did this to me, and everyone who has kept me here, while they live in the sunlight above me, you dare to tremble before me. You dare to weep from fear. He stood before her now, his eyes subsiding from flames to simply glowing alternating hues of yellow, red, and orange. She could see that he was everything legend said he was. He had long curling horns. He had long black claws. He had a long tail that coiled and slithered behind him like a snake's. He was no longer exhaling smoke with every breath, but the gray clouds still surrounded him. Despite not having fed for centuries, he appeared to be strong and mighty even still, for he was a thing of great and ancient power and magic and we cannot presume to understand things of great and ancient power and magic. But the legend had gotten something very, very wrong, at least in her eyes. He was not grotesque. He was not monstrous. He was beautiful. Maybe because she had been alone for fifteen years and the only people she had known before this had done everything in their power to forget her, to put her somewhere they could ignore her and their own guilt. The only people she had known before seeing this monster were humans, and the humans she had known were cruel and cold and monstrous themselves. Fifteen years and she was finally being looked at in the eye by a thing that was enraged, by a thing that hated her with every fiber of its being, by a thing that wanted to destroy her. Not a thing, she thought to herself. He may not be human, but he is not a thing. That was her ancestor who had called him a thing, and she would not make the same mistakes 
He strode towards her, drawing his hand backward, claws out as if he would strike. She did not bring her hands up to hide her face. She did not flinch. She did not look away from him. It made him pause. It made him consider her. She smelled like one of them, yes. But then why was she not running? Why was she not begging for mercy? Why had she opened the door? Why now? He growled, hand still poised to come down across her throat at any moment and take his revenge. Why has the door been unlocked, finally, now? She thought about it for a long moment. No matter how impatient his gaze, no matter how his hand itched to attack. She thought about it, because she wasn't sure. Finally, all she said, through tears of guilt and shame and also clarity and peace, was, Because I am here now. Had she not been the third-born guardian this generation, this lifetime, in this world, perhaps the door would never have been opened. But she was the sentinel now, and she decided to open the door. You let me out? He asked, lowering his hand only a little. Are you going to kill me? Delight in shedding my blood and eating up my screams? She rattled off the myths of old in a shaking but strong voice. The bargain is done. Take my family's good fortune and take my life. Take your revenge on us, demon. Just leave everyone else alone. Do as you will to us, then leave. Return to hell. His eyes narrowed in confusion. Leave, leave. He growled and raised his hand once more, clasping her with his other, claws digging into the flesh of her arm. This land is my home. These hills are what I delight in. I know nothing of a hell. Only windy hills and blue skies. He bared his teeth, his hunger for fresh air driving him into a frenzy. So close it was. And I will have them again. again, again. The legend was wrong. And if the legend was wrong, what else was wrong? As they looked each other in the eye, Something funny happened. They both realized they had not looked someone else in the eye for... Well, for our demon it was centuries. And for our hero it was fifteen years. But for each of them it was far, far, far too long. And they recognized that in each other. There's a kind of tenderness that comes with the Page of Cups, 
a delight in love and in fantasy, a perhaps naive belief in and trust of other people. The Page of Cups, whether or not he's been hurt or betrayed or deceived in the past, still knows how to love and wants to love and looks for every opportunity to do so. I think that's what the Guardian and the Demon saw in each other's eyes. Because at the end of the day, they had spent far too much time wasted not looking in anyone's eyes. Now that they had each other's gaze, they did not want to escape from it. He released her arm from his claws, but left his hand there, her skin cold and soft under his touch. He lowered his other hand. He would not attack her. She picked up that clawed hand in hers. No apology could be good enough. No entreaty could be sincere enough. So she just kissed it. Walking through those hills one day, practically floating on the breeze, so wild it was, I saw that castle. And I saw, laying in the grass, his arms crossed behind his head, a handsome creature with red eyes and lovely ram's horns and a tail. He opened his eyes when he saw me, and though I can't recall what I looked like then, I think he saw that I was a spirit of the earth as well, just like him, and just like his beloved. And he smiled and nodded in my direction, flicking the piece of hay that he held between his teeth from one side to the other. A woman called to him from nearby, letting him know that dinner was ready. There was the third-born guardian, older and wiser and much happier. She saw me from a distance, and she was not afraid of whatever I looked like, for she saw that I was a spirit of the earth, just like she was and just like her beloved. I stayed for dinner, because I saw how happy they were to have the company. That's all. That's my story. A love story. I love love stories. Sweet dreams, my loves, my spirits of the earth, wherever you are. And to you, my beloved spirit of fire, thank you for coming back to me. I missed you. I hope you liked this story. I am happy to see you. Good night.
Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to episode 145 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza here, your host, writer, composer, podcaster extraordinaire behind the show. How are you? I hope you're well out there, my friends. First off, just a little reminder that the Canadian Podcast Awards are still open for voting for the People's Choice Award, which we're nominated for, which is super exciting. While I'm up for production, fiction, music and lyrics, main title theme music, which I'm all extremely grateful for, listeners are only allowed to vote in the People's Choice category. So if you would like to submit a vote, head on over to canpodawards.ca slash vote slash peoples dash choice. I would also like to send a big thank you this week to a new patron of the show, Sean Kelly. Thank you so much for your support, Sean. It means the world to me, and I'm so glad that you enjoy what I do. If you'd like to support the podcast through Patreon, every monthly patron receives access to my complete soundtrack for the show, which is updated all the time. You can learn more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. If you'd prefer to make a one-time donation without the soundtrack perk, you can do so via coffee.com. Head on over to ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight to learn more about that. And finally, we have t-shirts and hoodies for On a Dark Cold Night available through bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. If you'd like to support the show a different way, I would be so grateful if you left a rating and a review for us on iTunes. It's a huge help for podcasters. You can also follow me on social media to keep in touch. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night. Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and on my Facebook and YouTube page, it's just called On a Dark Cold Night. Thank you so much for listening this week, my friends. I wish you a light heart and a good sleep tonight. Be well. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.